السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسالته الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد This is session number 86 in our series Islam's Greatest Personalities and part 35 in the seerah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, last week we spoke about the incident of Isra and Mi'raj and it was a brief overview. We didn't go into too much detail and we spoke about some of the facts in regards to the Isra and Mi'raj. We covered uh, which year it took place in, how old was the Prophet wasallam, and we had a brief overview. Today inshallah we're going to have an in-depth review of Isra and Mi'raj and all the narration now there's no one so this is something for us to know Isra and Mi'raj we've all heard about everyone's familiar with there is no one hadith that speaks about the entire incident in one place so if you look at all the books of hadith there's no one single hadith that tells you the whole story from beginning to end different parts some have mentioned more than others but there's no one hadith that mentions all of the details. So what we're going to do inshallah in today's session is put all of this together. Big task, right? Putting all of these things together. And we're only going to speak about those things which have been authentically narrated. So there's a lot of things which have been mentioned. But if they're not um, authentic, if, they're not, um, if they've not reached the stage where the scholars have verified uh, the information and said the chain is authentic. We won't be discussing them, we won't be going into that detail. Um, otherwise, we'll be here for a very, very long time. And the purpose isn't to go to, through all the nitty-gritty, we want to go through the main uh, aspects of the incident that have been mentioned in the authentic books of Hadith with reliable chains uh, to give us an overview. And we start off by mentioning the arrival of three angels. This incident has been mentioned twice. So the Prophet and possibly even prior to prophethood. So we're going way before even he received prophethood, let alone the time of Isra and Mi'raj. One night the Prophet was sleeping uh, uh, in the Hatim. So Hatim is a semicircle by the Kaaba, right? We all know that. So the Kaaba is there and you've got the semicircle area. He was sleeping in there, not just him, there were other people sleeping there as well. And whilst he's sleeping, he noticed three angels came and they started talking amongst each other. So one of them asked the others, um, I, who, is, who is this person? And the second one said, he is the best person from amongst all of the people that are sleeping here. He is Muhammad. And then the third person said, um, why don't we take him with us? And the story kind of ends there and there's nothing that's mentioned after that. Now 12 years later, in the 12th year of prophethood, the most unique night for the Prophet 
very exclusive. This has not happened with anyone. Even the Prophet has never experienced such a night in his life. It only happened once, as we established last week. Once it happened, and the Prophet he does Isha Salah in the Haram of Makkah, and then he comes home and he goes to sleep. Now we know he had a habit of going to sleep uh, quite soon after Isha because then he'd wake up for Tahajjud. So he went to sleep. All of a sudden, he's sleeping. All of a sudden, the roof of his house split open. So he's resting there and his roof just splits open. And Jibreel comes down whilst he's sleeping. Jibreel descends upon the Prophet from the roof of his own house and he grabbed him and he took him to Masjid al Haram, which wasn't far. So he takes him to Masjid al Haram from his own house, from his sleep. And in the Haram, he lays him down in the Hadim area. Again, remember we saw that the dream he saw years ago? So he makes him lie down in the Hadim area. And whilst he's lying there in the Hadim, now he, the Hadith, he says himself, I was half asleep, half awake. When I was in the Hadim, the words of the Hadith are, I was half asleep, half awake. And there were other people sleeping there as well. I wasn't the only one who was there. There were other people there, but they were fast asleep. And the angels came, two angels came, and they had that same discussion that they had I saw before. So one of them said that, um, who is this man? And one, the second person said, well, he's the best amongst all of these people sleeping. He is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then the third one said, let's take him with us. So he says, this time they actually took me with them. They actually took me with them. Where did they take him? Anybody know? We mentioned it last week. Where did they take him? To? To the well of Zamzam. Again, which is not far. To the well of Zamzam. I'm not sure if, um, who's... If you remember, well, in, it's not there anymore, but in the Haram in Makkah, where the Kaaba is, and then you've got Maqam Ibrahim. Maqam Ibrahim, imagine that's Maqam Ibrahim there. And more towards, like if you look rightwards towards Maqam Ibrahim, they actually used to be a spot on the Maqaf with a circle around it, and it used to say there, Huna Bi'r Zamzam. The well of Zamzam was here. That's been wiped out now, you don't see that anymore. Does anybody remember that? Anybody remember seeing this? I'm not that old. Um, but I, I think they must have, this must have been wiped away, possibly about around the year 2000 or something. So before that, I'm sure it was there. Uh, yeah, so there used to be, do you guys remember the, the, the the brown and black mark that used to be there where Hajar al-Aswad is on the ground. You must remember that. They wiped that away as well. It's all white now. Anyway, so that was there. That actually marks. It was interesting because you could see where the incident of Zamzam took place, where the original well of Zamzam was. Do you guys remember going down the steps to the well of Zamzam? No? Nazim by Sengar. You remember that. Okay, that was an experience in itself. Now all that's been covered up, that's not there anymore. But, so the Prophet has been taken now, carried from there to the where the well of Zamzam would have been. And they split his chest open. So the Prophet chest was 
physically split open. He didn't experience any pain. It didn't hurt him. And we've already been through this three times before. We've spoken about it in our lessons previously. This was the fourth time. So altogether, the Prophet ﷺ experienced the splitting of the chest four times. And this is the fourth time now. He wasn't scared. He'd already had this before. And he didn't experience any pain as well. On this occasion, what happens? That they brought with them a golden tray from Jannah. Inside the tray, there was Iman and Hikmah, meaning wisdom. So they take out the blessed heart of the Prophet ﷺ, took the water of Zamzam, they washed it. And then, whatever they brought with them in that tray, they emptied that out into his heart. Iman and Hikmah. And they closed it up again. Anas ibn Malik says, I saw the blessed chest. And I saw that mark. There was a mark there. You could see that his chest had been split open. Um, now, why each time his chest was split open, it was for a purpose. On this occasion, what was it for? It was to prepare him for this miraculous journey out of this world and he was out of this world and he's going to be seeing another realm altogether he's going to be going beyond the heavens he's going to be seeing jannah and jahannam and conversing and communicating with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to prepare him for this incredible journey this is why his heart was washed and prepared and filled with iman and hikmah to allow him to experience what he's going to experience then Allah could have allowed him through his powers to reach Baytul Maqdis, Jerusalem from Mecca directly within a moment, within a flash. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he ensured that he sent him a means of conveyance. And many a times, depending on the individual, if somebody is well-to-do, somebody is a ruler, a governor, a king, a minister, and they're inviting somebody, They'll send transport as well. They'll send transport, transport from the palace, transport from the government. Okay, these special cars come to collect you. You've got a chauffeur as well. So this was Allah's way of honoring the Prophet of sending the Burak. The Burak was a very unique animal sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in honor of the Prophet. This was a divine means of conveyance sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and when it arrived it was white in color that's what we're being told in the hadith it was larger than a donkey in size and it was very beautiful and extremely fast as far as it could see that's where the first step would be now we base it on how far we can see right whenever you've heard this before you kind of imagine this and you think, okay, that's how far I can see, so that's my first step. But that's how far me and you can see. How far could the Burak see, we don't know. And the word Burak, Bark is lightning. We say Bark for lightning. Burak comes from that. So it travels at the speed of light, very, very fast. So it goes from there beyond. Now, the Prophet is about to get onto the Burak for the first time ever. So Jibreel brings this Burak and the Prophet is about to put his foot, he just about puts, it, puts his blessed foot on it to climb onto it and the Burak starts to jolt. He starts jolting. You've seen horses, 
right? And sometimes they play up. Someone new comes onto it, someone is not interested, starts playing up. So the Burak starts jolting. And this is in the hadith of Tirmidhi. And Jibreel salam immediately spoke to the Burak and said to the Burak, Abi Muhammadin Tafaluhaba. Are you acting like this with Muhammad? No one more noble than him has ever rode on you before. No one more noble than this man has ever rode on you before. As soon as the Burak heard, the Burak became embarrassed and it started perspirating. And also there was a mixed feeling, the narration mentioned, not only was it embarrassed, it was also excited. Because to be able to be the conveyance for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Burak realized that this is a great honor. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam climbed on and the Burak became calm. And Jibreel also rode on the Burak as well. So it wasn't just the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it was both of them. So Jibreel and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, according to the hadith of Muslim Ahmad, they ride the Burak together. Now, they are traveling from Masjidul Haram, where they're traveling to? Masjidul Aqsa. Now on the, on the way, there were some incidents that took place. Now remember, there are many things that have been mentioned. We're only going to touch on those which have been authenticated by the scholars, those ahadith. Otherwise, there are other things as well. We don't want to all of the detail. One of the things that have been authentically mentioned, Imam Muslim rahimahullah mentions that on the way, the Prophet wasallam saw Prophet Musa salam praying salah in his grave. And this is in the hadith. He says, The night I was taken on the night journey, I saw Musa alayhi salam, he was standing and praying salah in his qabr. Now, the hadith doesn't specify, was this on the way there or was it on the way back? We don't know. It could have been on the way there. Most of the scholars are of the opinion it happened on the way there, not on the way back. But the hadith doesn't clearly mention it. And also, the salah of Musa alayhi salam in the barzakh is different to our salah here. We pray salah here because we have to pray. It's an injunction, it's an order from Allah. Praying salah in the qabr, you don't have to pray. That prayer is for fun, it's for enjoyment. That's, that's how you, if somebody prays there, you don't have to pray when you're there. You, the praying all happens here. Once you finish from here, there's no praying. There's no worshipping as such. There's no, you don't have to work hard. That's only for this world. Now in the hereafter, in the qabr, if somebody's praying, that is, they're praying as for pleasure. Not for worship, for pleasure. And sometimes we find those people who are really attached to a certain type of worship in the world, we sometimes hear about them enjoying that for pleasure purposes in the Qabr as well. Now, what happens in Qabr, we call it Barzakh. Barzakh means the intervening period. It's a realm between this life and the life hereafter. So this is dunya, this is akhirah, and in between you've got, it's called Barzakh. Barzakh means intervening period. So in the Barzakh, 
what happens, we can't see that. With our eyes, we can't see that. Sometimes Allah shows certain things that are happening in the barzakh. For example, here. We didn't, we can't see it, but Allah showed the Prophet He didn't see everyone in the barzakh, did he? He went past so many graves, he didn't see everybody. Allah showed him this particular incident. Like this, sometimes Allah exposes something that is happening in the grave. And this was one such incident. Now, where did he arrive to? Baytul Maqdis. He arrived to Jerusalem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have taken the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam directly from Makkah to the heavens. But here we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wisdom was to bring him from Masjidul Haram, Makkatul Mukarramah, and to bring him to Baytul Maqdis. And when he arrives to Baytul Maqdis, he didn't arrive, you know, like when he returned to Makkatul Mukarramah, although he arrived as a conqueror, we find he entered with humility. Umar radiallahu anhu, when he arrived to Baytul Maqdis, we, we see how he arrived with humility. Walking, his servant was riding, he had clothes which had uh, patches. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he arrived with so much prestige and honor. Burak, with Jibreel, prestige and honor. He's arriving to Baytul Maqdis, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a VIP. Who sent, who sent the vehicle? Allah sends this you know, vehicle to go and pick up. The Prophet he arrives with prestige and honor with the Archangel Gabriel, Ruhul Amin, Ruhul Qudus. And this, is, this was his arrival, this was his entrance, right? And when he enters into Baytul Maqdis, look at the welcome that he had. All of the Prophets had gathered to welcome him. So this was the prophetic entrance with a lot of uh, prestige and honor and he arrives to the land of Barak and we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he invited him to that land first so that that land the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam could experience the barakah of that land and the holiness and the sacredness and the blessings of that land increases even further than it already is we know it's the land of the Anbiya alayhi It is the land of the Prophets, the land filled with Barakah. But the arrival of the Prophet increases even more. What's also interesting is, this is where the Prophet had been facing for so many years in prayer. He was living in Makkah, born in Makkah. But even now, when this incident is taking place during the Mi'raj, what was the Qibla? The Qibla was still Masjid al-Aqsa at that time as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought him here to show him the direction in which he was facing. He hadn't been there before. This was his first and only visit he made to Masjid al-Aqsa. So his arrival increased the status of al-Aqsa even more. Also, it established a very strong connection between Masjid al-Haram and Masjid al-Aqsa. Can you see? The connection he established, this is why in the Quran, these two things, these two masjids come together. Subhanallahi asra bi abdihi laylan min al masjid al haram ila al masjid al aqsa. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places both of these side by side in the Quran, and it also gives us a very strong message that just like you should strive, at that time, who was controlling the Kaaba and Makkah at that time? 
the Quraysh are not there. Were the Muslims or non-Muslims? They were non-Muslims. It was filled with kufr. It was filled with shirk. It was filled with any everything against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there was a need to purify the Kaaba. There was a need to save God and defend the Kaaba. There was a need to fight what was happening there to preserve the sanctity of the Kaaba. This was a very strong message given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this night. That just like you fight away the kufr and shirk from the Kaaba, you must always remember that the same task will be de desired from you in regards to this masjid as well. Masjid al-Aqsa and Masjid al-Haram have been brought together in the Quran on this night to show that just like you must remove kufr and shirk from around Masjid al-Haram, you must remove kufr and shirk and anything that opposes Allah from the surroundings of Masjid al-Aqsa as well. And just like it is your duty to pro protect the Haram of Mecca, it's your duty to protect the sanctity of Masjid al-Aqsa. What's happening today in Masjid al-Aqsa is there is a very strong effort. Although Masjid al-Aqsa still remains a masjid, but everything, everything that the Zionists want to happen inside the temple in terms of their rituals, they're carrying out those rituals. So they're happy inside thinking that, well, we might not have the building of a temple, but we've created the spirit of a temple already. And that's happening now. It's happening now inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Talmudic rituals are being carried out inside Al-Aqsa. The blowing of the shofar home, the carrying of the vegetation uh, recently, uh, entering Masjid Al-Aqsa in costumes that just happened at the time of Purim. Uh, where they celebrate. You know how we have Halloween here and people wear fancy dress and stuff? So in one of their religious festivals is Purim where you dress up like the people that would work in the temple mount according to them. And this is what happened, entering inside, carrying out marriages for example, delivering courses, uh, conducting circumcision celebrations. When a child reaches the age of maturity, the blessing of the rabbi is happening inside Masjid al-Aqsa. And even worse than this now is in the third week of Ramadan. Third week of Ramadan is going to be Passover. Eid al-Fasr. Passover. One of the most significant religious events according to the Talmud for them. And what they are demanding is, they are demanding Masjid al-Aqsa should be closed for one week during Ramadan, which also coincides with the last 10 days of Ramadan to Muslims, and only let us enter in there. And this is catastrophic. In the previous years, we've seen last couple of years, Ramadan has had a very tough time. Masjid al-Aqsa has had a very tough time during Ramadan. Prior to that, it was inconceivable because there is an agreement with the US, there's an agreement with the UN that during Ramadan, no Zionists should be allowed to enter inside Masjid al-Aqsa. But last few years, we've seen them breaking this agreement. And this year, what's difficult is the head of the defense, the head of the fighters, the head of the police is a Zionist settler himself. So this is the toughest year and already millions of shekels have been spent to tighten the security. This is why a huge need for du'as is required from now 
that we pray for the safeguarding of Masjid Al-Aqsa this Ramadan. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects the people there, gives them the ability to remain firm and stand in the face of the occupation. So here we learn that this is our duty, just like it's our duty to protect the Kaaba, to ensure there's no idol worship taking place there. Similarly, today, as we are speaking now, Talmudic rituals are being carried out inside Al-Aqsa. And despite there not being a physical temple there, and there never will be in Shahdan, and there never was, but they believe they're happy because they can see the spirit of the temple. You know, we always say, it's not about the walls. It's not about the lighting, it's not about the marble, it's not about the carpet, it's about the spirit of the masjid, the a'mal of the masjid. As long as the salah taking place, Quran is taking place, dhikr is taking place. Can we see? This is something that slowly, 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 whereas the status quo internationally recognized is only Muslims can pray there. Others are allowed to visit. But now what's happening is day by day, day by day, more and more of these rituals are being carried out. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect it. Now, the Prophet sallallahu came riding on the Burak. The hadith of Sahih Muslim says, and we've heard this many times before, is when I arrived there, I tied the Burak where the previous Prophet would tie their animals. This is the hadith that we normally hear. There is another hadith mentioned in Tirmidhi that mentions that Jibreel tied the Burak. So normally we hear the hadith where the Prophet says, I tied the Burak in the ring where the previous Prophet would tie the Burak. But there's another, remember we said we're going to put all of the hadith together. So the, another hadith mentions Jibreel, فَخَرَقَ Jibreel الصَّخْرَ بِأَصْبَعِهِ وَشَدَّ بِهَا الْبُرَاقِ That Jibreel made a hole himself in the rock and he tied the burak himself. Allama Zulqani rahmatullahi he reconciles between these two hadith in a very beautiful way. He says that the Prophet ﷺ respecting the previous prophets because there was a precedent, there was a, a, a way of doing things. The previous prophets would come and they would tie their animals there. So respecting this, uh, this method, the tradition of the prophets, in respect of that, the Prophet ﷺ tied the Burak in the same place. Jibreel untied it. Jibril untied it. He made a hole in the wall himself and he tied it in a specific place for the Prophet and most likely this was in the uh, right corner of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Imagine this is Masjid Al-Aqsa. Okay, this is Musallah Al-Qibli here. The Dome of the Rock is here in the approximate center. And this corner here, which we'll call the Ruknul Yamani of Masjid Al-Aqsa. This corner wall, this is where this incident takes place, over here. At the moment now, those of you who have been to Masjid Al-Aqsa, inside Al-Aqsa, around here, there is a musallah called Musallah Al-Buraq. You go down there on the wall, there is a ring, and that's from the Ottoman time. It's not the original ring. And that is to show you the approximate location, that's not the original place. Because the Hadith mentions, I tied the Buraq, thumma dakhaltu al-Masjid. I tied the Burak and then I entered into the Masjid. So if he arrives over here, he tied it where the previous prophets would tie the Burak. Allama Zulqani rahmatullahi says, Jibreel untied it. And then he poked a hole in the wall. 
And those of you who've been to Al-Aqsa and you've been to Musalla and Marwani, downstairs where the Crusaders converted it into Solomon's stables and they would keep the Knights, Templar Knights would have their horses in there. You've seen how they have made holes at the bottom of the pillars and that's how they would tie their horses. So it's very similar. This is what it means by Halaqa. This is what it means by uh, a hole in the wall where you would tie an animal. And this is how they would tie the animals uh, in those days. So Jibreel alayhi salam, he ties the Burak again. And what's interesting is like, why did they need to tie it? Like, was a Burak going to run away? Was a Burak going to run away? It's not as if how we at home, this Musalla is not folded. Like what we do with the Musalla, don't we? What do we do with the Musalla at home? Yeah, we quickly fold it. If we don't put it away, we fold one corner. Why? Because Shaitan's gonna read on it. So it's not gonna. It's not as if Shaitan's gonna read. So it wasn't like that. The burak wasn't going to run away, was it? This burak was a special animal. It wasn't any old animal. This was put under the control of Jibril and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It was divine. It was holy, sacred. He wasn't going to run away. But despite that, a very important lesson given to you and me is that we take the apparent means, the means which Allah has placed in, we use the means. After using basically whatever is in your capacity, whatever effort you can make, you put all of your effort in. And once you've tried and you've done everything within your capacity, then you place your trust in Allah. This is tawakkul. This is true reliance on Allah. Reliance on Allah isn't that I sit at home in my armchair, right, and think, you know, everything's going to fall in place. Allah's going to feed me and, you know, money's going to come into my bank and everything's going to get sorted. It's all right. Tawakkul ala Allah. This is what people say. You know, this, that's not tawakkul. That is not tawakkul. You've got it very wrong. You can't sit back. That's not how Allah has made the world. You do everything you can in your capacity. You try, you work, you strive. And once you can't work anymore, then you say, now I place my trust in Allah, not on my efforts. I've done what I can. My, I don't trust my effort. I trust Allah now. This is true tawakkul. And this is here we find the Prophet wasallam, despite the animal, being a Burak, he still tied it. And that's why we hear the Prophet wasallam, we hear this example, tie the camel and then trust in Allah. That's what we hear, don't we? So he ties the camel and then the Prophet wasallam, entered into the masjid. One hadith mentioned that after he enters into the masjid, he performed two rakat salah. Hadith of Sahih Muslim. Another hadith mentions again in Sahih Muslim, The time of Salah came near and I led the Prophets. So one hadith mentions he prayed his own Salah. Another hadith mentions he led the Prophets in the prayer. Some scholars say that the Prophet led the, the, the Anbiya after returning from Mi'raj. So he went to the heavens and then on the way back, he led the salah. But majority of the scholars say no. Hafid ibn Hajar al-Asqalani ibn Kathir rahimahullah. Sorry. 
Ibn Kathir rahimahullah in Al-Bidayah and Nihayah, he says that the Prophet led the salah after he returned from Mi'raj. So when he went to the heavens, he came back down, came to Masjid Al-Aqsa again, and that's when he led the prophets in the prayer. Hafid ibn Hajar al-Asqalari rahmatullahi says no. It's very obvious that the leaving of the salah happened before Mi'raj, not after the Mi'raj. All of the prophets being present in Al-Aqsa at that time showed that the message of all of these prophets was one. The source is one. Also, it showed that every prophet acknowledged and surrendered to the message of the Prophet and to his leadership. Also, it showed that we are no longer relevant now. Our Sharia is abrogated. It no longer applies. And now it's the Sharia of who? Sharia of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is a huge lesson. Mi'raj, and this what happens in Masjid al-Aqsa, is a huge lesson for those people who are calling for the uniting of religions today throughout the world. We're hearing this call out you That all religions should be one. Everything leads to one. We should pray under one roof. Christians, Muslims, Jews, and in the UAE, they actually have a place of worship where Christians, Muslims, Jews, all pray under one roof. And this is part of the normalization project. Why they have normalized relations with Israel? So that these people in the UAE, simple-minded people, they don't know any better. This, they become so accustomed and used to this idea that, oh, Muslims, Christians, Jews, we're all praying together. So that when it does happen in Al-Aqsa, where they want to be also part of the administration, consider us as well. And they are treating it just, just yesterday or the day before, a Zionist group that carries out regular incursions into Masjid al-Aqsa, they demanded their people and they said that when you go into al-Aqsa and if you see any children playing football, forget the police, you go to them yourself, you should harass them. Ask them their name, ask them their address, take pictures of them, take videos of them, then hand their names into the police, make sure that they get a fine, make sure that they get in prison, make and take the ball off them, don't let them play, don't let them do this. Now this is something new now, the new, the latest attack on Masjid al-Aqsa started from yesterday, harassing Palestinian children and they have used the words criminals. When you see these criminals, why are they doing this? Because they are trying to say, trying to show that this is our temple. They want to treat it as a temple. Like in the 90s, officially, officially, in the 90s, officially, they have converted the Masjid al-Ibrahimi that by law, they have converted it to a synagogue. It is recognized, the Masjid al-Ibrahimi, where Ibrahim is buried in Hebron, is by law is recognized as a synagogue, not as a masjid. We go there, we pray, but they have managed through the escalation of doing similar things, they have managed to convert by law, through law, it's recognized as a synagogue, a Jewish heritage place, not a place of Islamic worship. And thus we've seen the hostility, those who've been will know exactly what I'm speaking about. This is what they want to achieve in Masjid al-Aqsa as well.
So what's happening here is the Prophet ﷺ going forward, all the other Prophets standing back was a very clear indication. And the fact that it happened there shows that this place, this masjid, this country, this area now is under the leadership of Muhammad no longer the previous prophets. His way, his methodology, his sharia, his law is going to be applicable. Now, when the Prophet arrived in Masjid al-Aqsa, he leads the prayer. After this, we have a mention that Jibreel alayhi salam came to him and presented the Prophet two bowls, two vessels. One of them had wine and the other one had milk. And the Prophet was told to make a choice. Which one do you want? Drink. When a guest comes, you present them with a drink. The Prophet was a guest. So he was presented with these drinks. Which one do you want? You want wine? You want milk? And the Prophet وسلم, he chose the milk, he took the bowl of milk and he drank the milk. And Jibreel said, Alhamdulillah, alladhi hadaka lil he said, Alhamdulillah, that you chose the fitra, the natural way. Otherwise, had you chosen the wine, your ummah would have gone astray. Your ummah would have gone astray. This is in Sahih al-Bukhari. So, milk is a symbol for Islam. Milk is a symbol for fitra, a symbol for steadfastness. The Prophet was being told, had you milk, because you drank the milk, now, you know, things are going to go straight in your ummah. Had you taken alcohol, then you would not, your people would not have been able to remain firm on the deen. They would have had many issues and many problems. Think about it. Why is milk known as fitra? Milk is natural, isn't it? Wine isn't. Wine is man-made, isn't it? You derive it from natural things, but you have to make it. Wine is a natural product. Milk is from the fitrah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us also in the hadith we learn that after drinking milk, you say, when after you eat food, you say, Alhamdulillah alladhi, uh, Alhamdulillah alladhi at'amani hadha ta'ama. I thank Allah who gave me this food uh, and What's the first part of the dua? Allahumma barik. Uh, I forgot the words. But the ending of the dua is Oh Allah, we thank you for giving us this food. And we ask you, Allah, feed us even better than this. But when you drink milk, we've been told to say, Allahumma barik lana fihi. So over there, Allahumma barik lana fihi wa at'inna khayran minhu. One of the du'as after eating, Oh Allah, give us barakah in the food, feed us better food than this. When you drink milk, you say, Allahumma barik lana fihi wa zidna minhu. Oh Allah, give us barakah in it and give us more of it. We don't say give us something better than this. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has told us that milk suffices from it's like a drink and food as well. It takes away your hunger as well, doesn't it? Whereas alcohol, wine, 
wine makes you hungry. Wine would alter your mind. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about milk in the Quran and he praises it. What does he say? And for you in the four-legged animal is a sign, Allah says. In the four-legged animal is a sign, speaking about the cow. He says, we give you to drink from between. Now look how Allah mentioned it. On one side, you've got the excretion of this animal stored in its stomach. On the other side, you've got blood. Allah says from between, on one side, you've got the excretion. On the other side, you've got blood. And from between that, we grant and offer you pure, white, fresh milk. Refreshing for those who drink it. Something that's so refreshing, so pure and clean. When you drink milk, do you, do you see any, any redness of the blood? Do you see any green? Does a cows eat green grass? Allah is saying, this is one of Allah's huge signs. We drink milk, we don't think about it. And the Prophet wasallam, he told us, This is a hadith of Al-Mustadak Al-Hakum. Make sure you drink cow's milk. Why? Because the cow, it grazes from many of this, this greenery. And the Prophet is beneficial for you. And this cow's milk is a cure, is a means of cure for many illnesses. Hadith of the Prophet. And then Islam is what we're speaking about, fitrah. We're speaking about the, the natural path. And Islam is the only religion now that fulfills every inner need. Of the human being and Islam allows anything that's permissible to fulfill in terms of your desire if it's permissible Islam allows it and anything that goes beyond the path of nature Islam prohibits it not because Islam doesn't like you or Islam doesn't want you to have fun because it now messes up with nature with fitrah this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fa'aqim wajhaka liddini hanifa fitrat Allahi allati fataran nasa alayha la tabadila li khalqillah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says establish the deen of Allah fitrat Allah this is Allah's natural way on which he has created the people la tabadila li khalqillah you cannot change the creation of Allah if someone's a man you can't change that person into a woman. Allah is saying, Allah is saying this. La tabadila li There is no changing to the creation of Allah. Fitrah. If Allah has changed, Allah has created someone in a certain way, Quran is saying, La tabadila li You cannot change the creation of Allah. It cannot be changed. It cannot be changed. There's only two genders. Yeah? Well, we confused. Male, female. I'm not saying this. Allah is saying, La tabadila li khalqin la. 
And then he says, Dalika Deenul Qayyim. This is the straight path. The other one's crooked and bent. Dalika Deen, this is Allah's words. Dalika Deenul Qayyim, this is the straight path. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Unless, but most people don't know. Most people don't know. They don't understand. They don't get it. Allah is saying, لَا تَبَدِيلَ لِخَلْقِ اللَّهِ Remember this ayah. لَا تَبَدِيلَ لِخَلْقِ اللَّهِ There is no changing to the creation of Allah. If Allah created someone as a man, you can't change. By changing, you won't change. You will still be a man because Allah created you as a man. Allah knows better from a logical perspective. Okay? Somebody might feel, somebody might want, somebody might desire. But your creator is Allah. Allah created you. He knows you. He knows us much better. He knew what to do. It's as if we're saying Allah made a mistake. He got it wrong. He didn't know. You know better. Allah knows. We don't know. The hadith mentions, there is no child born except they are born on this natural disposition. There is parents who will either make this child into a Jewish person, make this child into a Christian person, make this child into a fire worshipper, based on the teaching, the education, the tabiyyah, the environment you give. And the Prophet says, just as you see, if there's an animal that gives birth to some children, baby animals, and they've all, their ears, for example, are all intact, they're all fine, they're all fully intact. Are you just going to randomly see some animal with the ears cut off or the nose cut off? No, because that's, that's how it gave birth. The, the, way, the way it is, the way you... you the tarbiyah that you give, the environment that you give, that is what you're going to get. Now, from here ends the journey of Al-Isra, and now it goes to Mi'raj. So after this, now a new journey is going to begin, which we call the Mi'raj. Jibreel held the hand of the Prophet ﷺ, and they started ascending to the first heaven. There are some weak narrations that mention that the staircase came down. And they went up the staircase. But this is weak and the ulama haven't accepted this. So as they ascended, they went to the first heaven. And one of the gates of the first heaven, Jibreel knocked on the door. So he knocks on the door and said, open the door, open the gate. So from the other side, the angels called out, who is it? Knock, knock, who's there? So he says, Jibreel. Jibreel who? Like, who else? So Jibreel said, with me is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So from the other side, they're saying, has he been called for? Has he been in did you, were you told to bring him along? Or did you just bring him along on your own accord? He says, no, I've been told. Allah has told me to bring Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Upon hearing this, they opened the gates of the first heaven. And the angels, they are so excited. They are so ecstatic on seeing the Prophet The angels, all of the angels say, welcome, welcome home. Welcome, this is your place. Make yourself at home. We're so excited that you're here. 
And on that day, the angels were thrilled upon receiving the Prophet wasallam, and they were ecstatic and they were, they, were, they, they were celebrating upon the arrival of the Prophet Also, we know that the angels don't know the unseen. Otherwise, they would have asked the questions. Allah informs them of a lot of information, but they don't know everything that's happening in the unseen. The Prophet enters into the first heaven. It's the first heaven that comes. Sama'ud dunya it's called. The heaven of this world, the first heaven. And when he enters there, he noticed there was a man. And this man, he was sitting there. And on his right side, there were like multitudes of people. So many people. And on his left, there were multitudes of people. And this man is sitting there. And the Prophet observed him. And every now and again, this man, he would look towards the right. And he would smile and he would laugh and he'd get really happy. And then when he would turn to the left, he would get really upset and he would cry and he would weep. He looked towards the right and he'd get happy and laugh and be rejoicing. He looks towards the left and he'd cry and he looked really sad. And as they went further, Jibreel was with him. Jibreel, Jibreel, who's this man? I want to know who this is. And Jibreel says, this is your father, Adam alayhi salam. This is your father, Adam alayhi salam. He says, what's going on? He says, all these people on his right and in his left, these are all his children. All of the people who come, these are all his children. He says, why is he doing this? He says, all the ones that are on the right, they are the people of Jannah. They're going to go to Jannah. So when he sees them, he rejoices, he gets happy. And the people on the left, may Allah protect us, they are those of his children who will be going to the hellfire. And when he sees them, he cries and he weeps. And the Prophet says to uh, uh, Jibril says to the Prophet O Muhammad, this is Adam Ali. Go and make salam to him. Go and make salam to him. So the Prophet goes and makes salam to Adam alayhi salam. And Adam alayhi salam he replies by saying, Marhaban. He says, Welcome, welcome to my son and to the Prophet. You're a very good son, you are. You're a very good son. These are all messed up, corrupt people on the left. You're a very good son. And the other hadith of Bukhari, which mentions the same as all of the other Prophets mention, Welcome to my pious Prophet and my pious son. And the hadith also mentions that Adam alayhi salam made dua for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam of Barakah. We must have had a conversation. Allah knows what we spoke about. Then it was time to go. It was time to go. So now we're going up higher to the second heaven, which is so many, according to us, would be so many hundreds of years away between the first heaven and the second heaven. But they were on the Barak, so they traveled much faster. So when they got to the second heaven, exactly the same thing happens. Jibreel knocks on the door. Who is it? Jibreel. Anybody with you? Yes. Who's with you? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Have you been told to bring him? Yes, I've been told to bring him. And they opened the gates of the second heaven. The angels got really excited. They welcomed them in. And there they saw two people there again. There were two people there this time. 
قالت جبريل عليه السلام سيدك الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم هذا يحيى وعيسى فسلم عليهما This is Yahya alayhi salam and Isa alayhi salam. Make salam to them. To the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As-salamu alaykum. And they respond by saying, Marhaban bil-akhi salih wal-nabiyyi salih. Welcome to my pious brother and pious prophet. This is in Sahih al-Bukhari. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he came back from there, he actually described Isa alayhi salam. Because he saw him. He described Isa alayhi salam. He says, Isa alayhi salam, shall I tell you what he looks like? And the Sahaba said, go and tell us what he looks like. And he said, he, Isa alayhi salam, is a moderate height. So he's not very tall, not very short, medium height, reddish white complexion, and he is, his hair seems as if it's just been washed. And he said, if I was to tell you he looks like somebody, I would say he looks like Urwa bin Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. And everybody knew who Urwa bin Mas'ud was. So he said, if I was to say he looks like somebody from our community, then have you seen Urwa bin Mas'ud al-Thaqafi? Like, look at him, and that's like a spitting image of Isa That's what Prophet Isa looked like. And by the way, these were both cousins, weren't they? Yahya and Isa uh, salam, were cousins. Then they went to the third heaven. Exactly the same thing happened, so I'm not going to repeat. But on the third heaven, Jibril alayhi salam showed him somebody and told him, Hada Yusuf, fasallim alayhi. This is Yusuf alayhi salam. Go and make salam to him. So he goes and makes salam to Yusuf alayhi salam. And Yusuf alayhi salam says, Marhaban bil akhi salih, wal nabiyyi salih. Welcome to the pious, my pious brother and pious prophet. Then they go to the fourth heaven. And Jibreel alayhi salam shows him a person and says, Hada Idris, fasallim alayhi. This is Idris alayhi salam. Go and make salam to him. He responds in the same way, Marhaban bin Nabiyyi salih, wal akhi salih. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam remembered Idris alayhi salam, remembered what Allah says about him in the Quran, and said, Allah said about him, وَرَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيًّا We raised Idris to a very high and lofty position. They went to the fifth heaven. And on the fifth heaven, they met somebody as well. Jibreel said, هَذَا هَارُونَ فَسَلِّمْ عَلَيْهِ This is the brother of Musa al-Islam. Harun, English we say Aaron. Harun alayhi salam, go make salam to him. So he goes and makes salam to him. And he responds in the same way, مَرْحَبًا بِالنَّبِيِّ الصَّالِحِ وَالْأَخِ الصَّالِحِ Welcome to my pious brother and pious prophet. And then they go to the sixth heaven. Who did they see there? Musa alayhi salam. Jibreel says, هَذَا مُوسَى فَسَلِّمْ عَلَيْهِ This is Musa alayhi salam. Go make salam to him. He makes salam to him. Musa alayhi salam says, مَرْحَبًا بِالنَّبِيِّ الصَّالِحِ وَالْأَخِ الصَّالِحِ Welcome to my pious prophet and pious brother. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Jibreel started going to the seventh heaven. As they were going up and they were leaving Musa alayhi salam behind, they heard somebody crying. So they looked back. Who was crying? Musa alayhi salam. Musa alayhi salam started to cry. So said, Why are you crying? So Musa alayhi salam, he said, this is in Sahih al-Bukhari, Musa alayhi salam started saying to Allah, Rabbi hadha ghulam, ra'aftahu ba'di, yadkhulu min ummatihi al-janna akthara mimma yadkhulu min ummati. Oh Allah, this young man, you sent him after me, and his ummah is going to enter into Jannah in more numbers than my whole ummah put together. 
Ma'atul. And then another hadith of Bukhari, Rabbi lam adun an tarfa' alayya ahada. Allah, I thought that you're not going to raise anyone above me. I thought you were going to make me like have the most followers. So then I would have like the most reward. But it seems that this person, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, has surpassed me as well. This wasn't out of jealousy, remember. Because in that realm, there's no jealousy. In Jannah, in the hereafter, there is no jealousy. There's no concept of that. The crime was because his message wasn't universal. This was the difference. Musa salam, he came for a specific group of people. Specific group of people, and that's it. And he's gone, and their prophets have gone, and the message has ended now. There is no, Isa salam was the final prophet, who by the way, they rejected, they slandered, they swore on his mother. He was a prophet of Bani Israel. Isa salam was sent by Allah to testify the Torah. But they tried to kill him. They slandered his mother. They got, they killed Zakaria salam. They killed Yahya salam. They tried to kill Isa salam. Allah had to raise him to the heavens. So do you think after that they deserve? They've already killed thousands of prophets already. And the final prophet of Bani Israel, whom Allah had gifted them, and Allah tells them again and again, Ya Bani Israel, Ya Bani Israel, Ya Bani, remember Allah's favor upon you, and the fact that He sent prophets after prophets and prophets, and giving Isa alayhi salam, look at the miraculous nature of Isa alayhi salam, so many mu'ajizat, so many specialities, despite all of the awkwardness that they had dealt with, with Musa alayhi salam and all of the prophets that came after. Even then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to get guidance, but they turned away. And not only did they turn away, they tried to kill him. They slandered his mother. Even now, they swear at Maryam. They don't believe. They swear, they don't believe in Isa alayhi salam. And they killed Zakaria alayhi salam, they killed Yahya, killing a prophet. And then we're surprised at the killing innocent children. Changing the Torah, and then we're thinking they're changing the laws and street names. They changed the Torah. They did all of these horrendous things. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Yahya alayhi salam. So Musa alayhi salam, he realizes now, he's crying is because he realized that his message and of the Bani Israel was not universal. Now what's the benefit of it being universal? Not only your people, the, the message continues. And the Bani Israel, he, he tried so hard. Even though they were so open, they gave him such a difficult and hard time. He was still thinking about his people. And not, not everybody accepted, not everybody believed. So he was crying for himself and for the benefit and the number of his people as well. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on that particular night, he passed some prophets. And some of the prophets had a whole nation with them. He passed some other prophets who had large groups of people with them. He passed some other prophets who had a small group of people with them. Like that's the only people who actually listened to them and followed their message. He even passed certain prophets who had no one with them, not even one person. So they, they were sent as a prophet. They preached to the people, they tried and they tried, and guess what? No one listened, not even one person. So, Rasulullah described Musa as well. He said, Musa should I tell you what he looked like? He was very skinny, very thin, 
He had curly hair. He had a wheatish complexion, and he was very tall. And if I was to describe him and show you who he resembled, he said, "If you, you know, the people of uh, the there was a tribe called Az Shanua. He said the uh, the tribe of Az Shanua. Do you know what they look like? Their features." That is what Musa salam looked like, and this is in Sahih al-Bukhari. Now they arrive at the seventh heaven. And when they get to the seventh heaven, there is a house of Allah on the seventh heaven. There's actually a house of Allah on every heaven. It's on every single heaven. Like we have the Kaaba here. There is a Kaaba, meaning a Baytullah, let's call it, a house of Allah on every single heaven. And that's specifically for that heaven. The inhabitants and the malaika, angels of that heaven, they worship at that house of Allah. So like for example, on the first heaven, there is a house of Allah, it's called Baytul Izzah. Baytul Izzah, the house of honor. Like we have in the world, we have the Kaaba, Baytullah. So on the first heaven, you have Baytul Izzah. We learn this from the hadith. So on the seventh heaven, what's the house of Allah called? Baytul Ma'mur, and this is in Quran. Wattur, wa kitabin maskur, fi rakkin mansur, wal baytil ma'mur. Ma'mur means frequented. Most frequented house. Most frequented house. So Ibrahim salam was there leaning against the Baytul Ma'mur. And this was Allah rewarding him for building the Kaaba on, on earth. For him raising the foundations and, and being that individual that until the last hour from that time everybody who prays at it because he raised the name of allah allah raised him so on that day even the prophet saw him he's sitting he's sitting relaxing against leaning against baytul mahmur on that day and he is told Hada abuka ibrahim this is your father ibrahim go make salam to him and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam makes salam to him. Ibrahim alayhi sallam responds by saying, Marhaban bi ibn salih wal nabiyyi salih. Welcome my pious son and pious prophet. And then Ibrahim alayhi sallam, according to the hadith of Tirmidhi, says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Muhammad, ikra ummatak minni as-salam. O Muhammad, give my salam to your ummah. Ibrahim alayhi sallam remembered you in the heavens on the night of Mi'raj. And he said, Oh my Ummah, or oh, oh Ibrahim, give your Ummah my salam. And tell them, Tell them that Jannah, the, 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 the soil of Jannah is very beautiful. The water is very sweet. And tell them that Jannah is very beautiful, but it's barren it's empty it's flat the plantation of jannah is subhanallah alhamdulillah la ilaha illallah allahu akbar there is another hadith uh, reported by imam ahmad in his musnad where he says O oh Muhammad, tell your people, tell your Ummah that they should plant, do a lot of planting in the Jannah. 
And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, how, how can they plant in Jannah? They're in the world. Jannah is in Jannah and they're in the world. How are they going to plant in Jannah? So Ibrahim salam said, the plantation of Jannah is La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Tell them to say a lot of La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi kanzun min tahtil arsh. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah is a treasure which has come from beneath the arsh of Allah. Very powerful dhikr. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. It's the cure for 99 ailments. The lowest of which is stress and depression. Lowest. Lowest. So if you're feeling stressed out, if things are just getting to you, you feel overwhelmed, the best thing to recite at that time, no fixed number, no fixed time, you just keep reading it. There's no power and might except with Allah. There's no power and might except with Allah. Extremely effective. Very, very, very effective. So Ibrahim tells the Prophet that tell your people they need to plant. A lot of planting needs to be done in Jannah. You're going to get into Jannah. You don't want your Jannah to be empty. You want to have buildings there. You want to have palaces there. You want to have loads of things there. So plant while you're in this world. And the Prophet ﷺ, just like he described Isa ﷺ, he described Musa ﷺ, and then he gave a resemblance to someone in the world. He described Ibrahim ﷺ. This is Wara'aytu Ibrahim ﷺ. says, I saw Ibrahim ﷺ. Shall I tell you who he looks like? Whose name did he give? He said, he looks like me. He said himself, that Ibrahim salam, I am the person from everybody who he resembles the most. I look like him and he looks like me. Now the Baytul Ma'mur is a frequented house. Jibreel salam told the Prophet wasallam again in Sahih al-Bukhari, this is the most frequented house. Every day, 70,000 angels pray at this house. Once they have prayed here once, they will not get a chance to pray here ever again. Shows you how many angels there are. How many angels there are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no shortage of angels. Allah doesn't need us to worship Him. Allah doesn't need me. Allah doesn't need us. Does Allah need us? Allah doesn't need us. He's got so many angels. Our worship is for our benefit. If we worship, we'll benefit. A lot of times we practice the deen and we're showing us if we're doing Allah a favor. We make the hours of, oh, I prayed and you still did this to me. Well, I did so much dhikr, I did so much sadaqah and still this happened. Uh, we're not doing a favor to Allah. Say some people accepted Islam and they started showing as if, you know, we did no big favor to Allah. Allah revealed the verse of, well, are you trying to show you made a but Allah, Allah's favor upon you, that He gave you Islam, that He gave you the understanding of the deen. You know, once I was in Mecca, and 
I got a chance to get into the Hadim, so the semicircle area. So during those days, now it's now it's very busy. It's very difficult to um, kind of spend time in in the Mataf area. You don't have all these rules that you can only go in Ihram and everything. So during that time, uh, what I used to try and do is between Maghrib and Isha is a very short time in Haramain, about an hour. So after Maghrib, uh, I found out a way to get into the Hatim easily. And then where the Mizab of Rahmah is, I'll try and pray there. And I got to know one of the guards there. So moving to a side, um, he kind of said, okay, you can pray here. So I would try and pray there uh, and try and stay as long as I could until Isha Salah. You pray two rakat, you do salam, fifty salam, pray another two rakat, pray another two rakat. And I did that for a few days until one day this man came there and he was standing behind me to pray. So I noticed him, I finished my quickly started again, thinking, I'm here, I've come all this way, I'm going to make the most of it. So he whispered in my ear and he says, Allah doesn't need lots of sujood from you. There's so many people here to make sajda. By you doing more and more and more, it's not going to make you a better person. And something clicked in my head then, and I thought, hang on, that's true. This is a time where so many people want to pray here. If I hog up this place and think, I'm going to pray and it's just for me, that's me being selfish. Allah doesn't need loads. I can pray too and move away and pray to Allah, have an intention that I wanted to pray more, but there's millions of people here who want to pray. But I wasn't thinking like that before. I was thinking just for myself, thinking, let me pray and let me pray and let me pray. But here we learn when we understand that there are so many malaik. He goes, there's so many. This is what he said to me then. He goes, there's so many angels making ruku, making sujood. You think you're acting as if Allah needs your salah. Allah doesn't need your salah. You do turaqah and you go. And let somebody else come and pray. Allah doesn't need your prayer. The way you're acting, you're hogging up the place as if you know, the whole thing depends on you. No. So, the Malaika, just think about it. 70,000 angels every single day. And once one angel had a chance to pray, will not get a chance again. Just imagine how many angels there are. And there are some angels Allah has created from the beginning of time and Allah created them in Ruku. And they're in Ruku now, and they will remain in Ruku until Qiyamah. That's their only job. There are some angels Allah created them in Sajda. Because Allah wanted people to worship Him, and Allah created these angels for His worship. And they are in Sujood, and they are worshiping Him in Sujood. So we're never going to be able to get there. If we do anything, it's for our own benefit. Allah doesn't need us. We need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that was the Baytul Ma'mur. Some narrations mention that the vessels with alcohol, wine and milk were presented to the Prophet sallallahu again by Baytul Ma'mur for a second time. So it could be a test or it could be again offering hospitality. That was on the earth. Now you come to the heavens here. Yeah. Heavenly hospitality. Have a drink. And the Prophet ﷺ chose the milk. And Jibreel said, Heal fitrah This is the fitrah you and your ummah are upon. 
you chose the right path. May Allah keep your path, your ummah straight. May Allah keep your ummah straight. Then we come unto Sidratul Muntaha. What is Sidratul Muntaha? So from the after the seven heavens, then they went to a place called Sidratul Muntaha. Sidratul Muntaha is a tree. When I say tree, it doesn't mean a tree like this here outside. Okay, it's a tree. Um, just the resemblance is only by name. You can't imagine how this tree would be. And the Prophet described that the fruits of this tree were like huge clay pots found in Bahrain. You used to get these pots made of clay in the area called Aqsa, which is around Bahrain. And he said the leaves of this tree were like the ears of elephants. You've seen elephant ears? Very big. So this particular tree called Sidratul Muntaha. So Jibreel says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Hadihi Sidratul Muntaha. Now, did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam see it? Id yagsha sidrata ma yagsha, Quran says. When the Sidratul Muntaha was covered with what it was covered with. The Prophet Sallallahu says, there were such colors that had covered Sidratul Muntaha. Ma adri ma I, I'm lost for words. I don't know what, I don't know what color you call it. I don't know what that was. I've never seen anything like it. So when he came to Sidratul Muntaha, the Sidratul Muntaha was actually fully covered. Quran says, it yagsha Sidrata ma yagsha. Imam Muslim mentions a hadith where the Prophet has said, No one can describe the beauty and the excellence of Sidratul Muntaha. A hadith of Imam Muslim again, Abdullah ibn Abbas says, What had covered the entire Sidratul Muntaha were golden butterflies. You know what? You know, you see a butterfly? Imagine butterflies of real gold. This was the whole of this tree called Sidratul Muntaha was fully covered with these golden butterflies. You couldn't actually see the Sidratul Muntaha itself. It was covered. Now, what is the purpose of Sidratul Muntaha? Why is it called Sidratul Muntaha? Sidra is the tree and Muntaha is like the, the limit. So why? It's called the end because the knowledge of the angels ends here. Angels have a lot of knowledge because Allah gives them divine duties and roles and responsibilities and they live in the heavens in the Malawul A'la. They see a lot of things. But what happens behind Sidratul Muntaha, even the angels don't know, number one. Number two, no one has ever passed beyond that. No one has gone past Sidratul Muntaha. No angel, no prophet. The only person who has had the privilege of crossing this point is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, no one else. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu mentioned that Sidratul Muntaha is like the station of the heavens. Like anything that happens in the world, any good deeds and, and what everything that happens here that gets raised up, it goes all the way to Sidratul Muntaha. And then Allah sends decisions down from there. Similarly, any rulings, decisions that come from the heavens, they first go to Sidratul Muntaha and they come into the world from there. In the hadith of Sahih Muslim mentions that Sidratul Muntaha is on the sixth heaven. 
Now we always hear the accidental muntaha is on the seventh heaven. So the normal hadith mentioned is on the seventh heaven. There's one hadith that mentions it's on the sixth heaven. Hafid ibn Hajar al-Asqalani has reconciled between these two narrations and said the roots of Sidratul Muntaha may be in the sixth heaven, the root and the trunk of it. But the branches, they go to the seventh heaven. And this is in Fatul Bari. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, by the Sidratul Muntaha, I saw four rivers flowing. Four rivers flowing from Sidratul Muntaha. Two of them were exposed and two were hidden. I couldn't see they were hidden rivers and two were exposed. And I asked, Mahadani Jibreel, what are these rivers? And he said, two of them are rivers of Jannah. You can't see them. They are the rivers of Jannah. And the two rivers that are exposed that you can see, which flow from Sidratul Muntaha, they are the river Nile and the river Euphrates, which are in this world. And this is in Bukhari and Muslim. The river Nile is 6,695 kilometers long. Euphrates is 2,375 kilometers long. Hadith of Sahih Muslim, Sayyidhan, Wajayhan, Walfarat, Walneel, Kullun min Anharil Jannah. The Prophet said the river Nile and the river Euphrates, these are rivers from the rivers of Jannah. Whether we like it or not, whether we understand or not, the source of these rivers are from Sidratul Muntaha. And then they have a worldly source. But the original source is Sidratul Muntaha. And then there'll be a worldly source as well. And there's nothing contradicting to that. Um, and then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw Jibreel. Now you might be thinking, well, he's been with Jibreel all this time. What do you mean, saw Jibreel? He saw Jibreel in his original form. The Prophet only saw Jibreel twice in his original form. Once in the world and once by Sidratul Muntaha. And the Quran mentions both occasions. The Quran mentions, one day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed Jibreel to the Prophet in the heavens, in the clouds, and his head was up in the heavens, and his feet were you know, down on the earth, and he saw it covered the whole east and the west. This is once when he saw him in his original form in the world. And this is the second time where Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sees Jibreel in his original form, وَلَقَدْ رَآهُ نَزْلَةً أُخْرَى عِنْدَ سِدْرَةِ الْمُنْتَهَى Quran says, indeed, he saw Jibreel by Sidratul Muntaha. Hadith of Mustad Ahmad, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, رَأَيْتُ جِبْرِيلَ عِنْدَ سِدْرَةِ الْمُنْتَهَى I saw Jibreel by Sidratul Muntaha. عَلَيْهِ سِبْتَ مِئَةَ He had 600 wings. 600 wings. يَنْشُرُ مِنْ رِيشِهِ التَّهَاوِيلِ So he says he had 600 wings. And... One wing, the hadith mentions, one wing of Jibreel is so huge. Jibreel, this one angel of Allah, is so magnificent. Allah has given him 600 wings. If he opens just one wing, it would cover the entire east and west of the whole world. The entire world would be covered just through one wing. 
when he came to the Prophet most of the time he came in the form of a human being. He came disguised. He didn't come in his original form. But in his original form, he has 600 wings. One wing, just one wing would cover the entire east and the west. And once the Prophet says, Atani Jibreel fi He says, one day Jibreel came to me. Now, this is coming into the prophetic presence. He was dressed in green. And the, the clothing he wore when he visited me, it, it was, there were pearls hanging from it. This is how he dressed, coming to the Prophet he says, now this is Jibreel in his might and his glory. On that same night, the Prophet says, I was going somewhere else and Jibreel was conversing with Allah. Allah was speaking to him and he says, I saw Jibreel and as he was conversing with Allah, I saw he looked like an old frail straw mat. You've seen a mat? You see the mat, we call it chatai, old straw. Imagine a really old used straw mat. It's, it's like it's all, it's, it's ripped and it's... His Jibreel, so mighty and so magnificent. But when he was speaking to Allah, he humbled himself and he was shaking and shivering. And he became like an old straw mat. Min khashyatillahi. This was Jibreel. Now imagine, like we, Jibreel knew Allah so well and conversed with Allah regularly. Despite that, when he spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this was his condition. Now we're going to end on this topic of did he see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Anyone who studies the Ahadith of Mi'raj, this is a question that everybody will have in their mind. Did the Prophet see Allah? He saw Jibreel, we know that. Did he see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Abdullah bin Shafiq is a Tabi'i, a very senior Tabi'i. He once met Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, who is a Sahabi. And he said, if I ever saw the Prophet ﷺ, tell him, you're privileged, you saw the Messenger of Allah. I didn't see him. Had I seen him, I would have asked him just one question. I really want to know the answer to one question. So Abu Dhan thinks like, what could it be? So he said, what, what, what's that question? So the only question I want to ask him is, did you see Allah on the light of Mi'raj? And Abu Dhan says, guess what? I've already asked that question. I asked that question. I had that question in my mind. So I asked the Prophet wasallam, Did you see your Lord on the night of Mi'raj? And the Prophet wasallam told me, I saw Noor. He said, I didn't see him, I saw Noor. And in another narration, this is in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet wasallam said, Noorun anna aradu. He says, he was just known. How could I have seen Allah? There was a barrier. There was a barrier between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of Noor. How could I have seen him? Because of this Noor, I couldn't have seen him. I didn't see him. So this hadith indicates that he didn't see Allah. Instead, he saw Noor. The Noor isn't Allah, by the way. 
The Noor isn't Allah. Noor, we call Noor light. Right? Light is a creation. Allah is beyond His creation. Allah, we, 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 when we see light, we call it Noor. Allah isn't something that's created. We can't perceive, we can't understand, we can't comprehend. We understand what light is. And the Prophet Sallallahu is giving a description. You can't, you can't see Allah and then say this, Allah was like this. Because that's, Allah is not like anything we know. It's beyond our capacity and our understanding. So this hadith shows that he didn't see Allah, he saw the barrier and the hijab. And that was a war. And there's another, another narration that supports this. Inna Allah Azza wa Jalla yanam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allah doesn't sleep. Uh, and he doesn't, wala yamnaghi lahu ayyanam. It wouldn't be suitable for a Lord to go to sleep. Yakhfidhu al-qista wa yarfa'u. Yurfa'u ilayhi amalun layl qabla amalin nahar. Wa amalun nahar qabla amalin layl. Hijabuhu al-nur. Here. The barrier, the veil between Allah and His creation, there is a hijab, and this hijab is of Noor. Wafiri wayati Abi Bakr ibn Abi Shayba, he mentions Allah. Law kashafahu, la ahraqat subuhatu wajhi mantaha ilayhi. If Allah was to remove this hijab of Noor, everything would just burn. Everything would burn, everything would perish. No one or nothing would be able to tolerate this. This is in Sahih Muslim. Now, another person who speaks about this topic is Aisha radiallahu anha. Masruq asked Aisha radiallahu anha regarding this, and she said, There are three things, if anybody claims them, they lie. And they are uh, slandering Allah. And one of them said, Anybody who says that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw Almighty Allah on the night of Mi'raj, this is a huge slander upon Allah, he didn't see him. So Masruq said, didn't Allah say in the Quran, that he saw, he saw him in the ufuq, and Quran says in Surah Al-Najmi, and he saw him, Aisha says, I was the first person from the whole Ummah to ask the Prophet regarding this ayah of the Quran. And I have the same question. And I asked the Prophet and the Prophet told me that this is talking about not Allah, this is speaking about Jibreel, that he saw him, meaning Jibreel, and Lam Arahu ala suratihi. I have not seen Jibreel on his original form, in his original form, except on two occasions, and they are the ones mentioned here in the Quran. Aisha radiallahu also said that there are verses in the Quran that say, وَمَا كَانَ لِبَشَرٍ أَيُّ كَلِّمَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا وَحْيًا أَوْ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَامٍ لَا تُدْرِكُهُ الْأَبْصَارِ وَهُوَ يُدْرِكُ الْأَبْصَارِ No eye can perceive him. No eye can perceive and see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the narration of Sharik ibn Abdullah is the one that normally mentions the ayat So Sharik ibn Abdullah narrates this um, saying that um, this is referring to Allah 
that the Prophet drew close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and saw him. However, this hadith is from Anas ibn Malik and everybody else who narrates this hadith does not mention this besides Sharif ibn Abdullah. So the scholars of the hadith say that it's not referring to uh, Allah, it's referring to Jibreel alayhi salam. Imam Barihati says the ayah before and the ayah after is speaking about Jibreel. So this ayah is also speaking about Jibreel alayhi salam as well. In Tirmidhi, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu would say that he did see Allah with his eyes. And then there's another narration from him that saying no, he didn't see Allah with the physical eye, he saw him with the eye of the heart. Hafid ibn Hajar al-Asqalani rahmatullahi comes to the rescue once again. And he reconciles between this. And he says, if we want to get all of the Sahaba together, most of them are saying, almost all of them are saying, he didn't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he saw Noor. And he said, how could I have seen Allah? It was just Noor. Ibn Abbas is saying, no, he did see Allah. So how can we reconcile? Because Aisha strictly she said, anybody who says that he saw Allah is a liar. So that's what she said. So Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Skalani says, he didn't see Allah with the physical eye, he saw Allah with the eye of the heart. And with this, no Sahabi, it doesn't contradict the opinion of any Sahabi because what they are saying that he didn't see him meaning with the physical eye, la tudrikuhul abasar. Then he was shown Jannah and in Jannah he experienced many things and he saw many things. He was shown the hold of Kawthar. Inna a'atraynaka al-Kawthar fasalli li rabbika wanha. And he saw birds. He says, Fiha tayrun a'anaquha ka'anaqil jazar. He goes, I saw birds in Jannah. The neck of the bird was the size of a camel. So Umar radiallahu said, that those birds must be very satisfied having such big necks like the size of the camel. The Prophet said the people who eat them will be more satisfied. You're talking about the birds, imagine the people who eat them. Another interesting thing that happened on the night of Mi'raj when he was in Jannah, this is the Jannah part. She's doing a tour of Jannah. Remember, we're not going into all of the deal, we're just mentioning some of the things. So he's with Jibreel, they're in Jannah, and he's being shown around Jannah. And this is this, this is this, this is this. All of a sudden, he hears like someone walking. And he goes to Jibreel like, wasn't it just us here? Is there someone else here as well? Who's that? I can hear someone walking. And Jibreel says, oh, those are the footsteps of Bilal. Bilal ibn Rabah, anhu. He's in the world. His footsteps in Jannah. And when the Prophet came back to the earth, the Prophet Bilal has made it. He says, Bilal has made it. And I saw so and so. I saw so much for him. There's so much going on for him in Jannah. I've seen it. I experienced it myself. But he's made it. Bilal's made it. And all those sacrifices he made. It's not for nothing. Every time you do anything for Allah's sake, وَكَانَ سَعْيُكُمْ مَشْكُورًا Quran says, Allah says, your efforts are hugely appreciated by Allah. Maybe people don't appreciate us, but Allah says, وَكَانَ سَعْيُكُمْ مَشْكُورًا Every so Bilal went through a lot in this world. He sacrificed himself. 
He was beaten, persecuted. Every single, every single thing he went through, he's going to get the reward for it. And this is, look how Allah has elevated him. The Prophet ﷺ is hearing his footsteps in Jannah in, on the night of Mi'raj. And he was passing by this place in Jannah and he had this really beautiful fragrance. Really beautiful fragrance. So Jibreel, Ya Jibreel ma What's this beautiful fragrance? And Jibreel said that this is the grave of the lady and her children. This lady is the lady who would comb the hair of Fir'aun's daughter. So the Prophet said, Masha'Allah. I've never heard of this before. What's, what's this all about? So Jibreel started to explain that there was a lady who would comb the hair of Fir'aun's daughter. And she had lots of children. So she'd stay in the palace of Fir'aun. And she would, her, her job was to comb Fir'aun's daughter's hair. So one day while she was combing her hair, she dropped the comb. So she dropped the comb, she goes, Bismillah. So the daughter of Fir'aun said, what did you say? She said, Bismillah. Because you mean my dad, right? In the name of my father. Because no. Allah is my Lord and your Lord and your father's Lord. Because what? I'm going to tell my dad. Tell your dad. She goes, tell him. You can tell him. So she goes running to her dad. Dad, guess what's happened? The lady who combs my hair, she said that she's got another Lord. Enraged. Fir'aun is so angry. He combed this woman. And he said, what did you just say? She goes, yeah, I believe in Allah. He's my Lord. He's your Lord as well. He's a Lord of everyone. How dare you say this? He got so angry, he ordered for a cauldron to be bought. And he filled it with oil. And he set it alight. And once it reached boiling point, he took one of, she had loads of children. She took, he took one of her children in front of her eyes and threw him inside the child. And the child, innocent child is sizzling away. Second child is thrown in, third child, fourth child. All of her children were thrown in front of her eyes. She had one small baby who was an infant still suckling and she held him very tightly. And Fir'aun wanted to take him and she was hesitant. And the child spoke, the hadith says the child spoke and says, oh mother, throw me and yourself into the cauldron because the punishment of this world is very light. The punishment of the hereafter is very severe. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And she gives that child away and she even, she gets thrown into there as well. And she made one request before she died. She said to Fir'aun, fine, you want to do this, go ahead with it. But when we die, I want you to wrap all our bones, mine and my children's bones, into one cloth. And Fir'aun goes, if that's your request, that's fine. So on that day in Mi'raj, the Prophet experiences very beautiful fragrance. said, what is this? Jibril said, this is the grave of that woman and her children. This elevated rank in paradise has been afforded to them. We've forgotten what sacrifice means. These are sacrifices people made for the sake of Tawheed. They were cut into pieces. They were skinned alive. They were heads were severed from their body. They lost their children, they lost their livelihood, they lost their homes, they were driven out. We've not had to pay any price guys. And we kind of, something happens and we start changing our tune. We start changing our name. 
we start changing you know our dress our appearances when something happens you know we, we want to just change everything change the whole of it's like let's have this modern idea of islam whereas they stuck to their beliefs they stuck to their principles they stuck to what they believed in it doesn't matter who it was la ilaha illallah will remain la ilaha illallah and the Prophet was also given a tour of Jahannam. There are many hadiths that speak about what he saw in Jahannam. We're not going to go into them because I think we've probably heard it many times. Do you know when you see different punishments, one after the other, loads of punishments are shown. And then in the end, Jibril explains, well, these are the people who backbited, and these people who committed zina, and these people did this, and this. These are all, this all happened in the night of Mi'alad. And then, he was taken to the guardian of the hellfire and he was told this is Malik Malik is his name the guardian of hellfire imagine what a role he has he's the guardian of the hellfire and the Prophet quickly went over to Malik to make salam to him before he could make salam Malik made salam to the Prophet first and just quick two more things I'm going to mention, the Jal. The Prophet saw the Jal as well on this night and he gave a description of the Dajjal. The Jal, his original form is, he has number one, he has a huge body, so he's big. Number two, his face will be white as the moon. Number three, he has two eyes. One eye is raised like a grape, we know. The other eye is sound. It's so sound, like one eye is messed up, it's like a bulging grape. But the other one is so sound, it looks like a shining star. This is the hadith. And his hair looks like branches of a tree. Hadith of Muslim Ahmad. His hair is going to look like branches of a tree. And the last thing is, the Prophet ﷺ in Bukhari, he also says, whilst I was in Mi'raj, I heard the chirping of pens. And when you're writing with a pen, and this, well, these were the angels, they were writing the instruction and the orders and the laws from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah was probably telling them what to do and they were writing away. This is something that they heard as well. We're going to stop here inshallah. Of course, there is more to discuss in regards to the journey. What else happened on that night? He comes back, he comes back down, he goes back to Mecca. What happens? Now, next week, depending on whether it's Ramadan or not, um, inshallah, if it's not, then uh, we can have our session to conclude on Mi'raj. Otherwise, um, would it, could it possibly be Tarawih? No? Oh, it's, it's going to be Wednesday. It can't be Tuesday. Okay, in that case, inshallah, we can continue, inshallah. Next week, we'll have one more session and conclude the story of Mi'raj. And then after that, we'll continue after Ramadan. During Ramadan, we'll have different sessions. So after we finish this, we'll probably go on to Dayat al-Aqaba. The pledge of Aqaba, inshallah, will be the next. But we need to conclude the Mirage story. Wa akhiru da'wana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil